Thank you. Um, Mary Kondo. Anyone know who she is? She's a, a little Japanese lady who's responsible for a revolution uh, in tidying up. Uh, she has a Netflix show. She has uh, her own little book. And uh, she has a little catchphrase that, uh, well, she says, you should imagine a home where the only objects in it are things that spark joy. Uh, it's quite a nice idea, isn't it? Uh, she says you should only have six books uh, because that's, that's the amount of books that uh, a household should have that would spark joy. Uh, I have a slight problem with that. Um, I'd probably more have like 600 books, so she probably wouldn't like me. Um, if, if you get Netflix, it's quite a fun show to watch. Uh, go on, hands up if you've, if you've heard of her or seen, seen something to do with her. Brilliant. And she's revolutionising the way that people use their homes. Uh, she, gets, it, she gets you to kind of get all your stuff uh, and put it in one big pile and then decide not what you're going to throw away, but what you're going to keep. And for some of us, that would be quite a good exercise, wasn't it? We've got a lot of junk that we don't necessarily need. And uh, her argument is, uh, if you live, live in a less cluttered space, you're more likely to actually think about the important things in life uh, rather than have your brain always worried about what you own. Now, this revolution in how we think about our homes, uh, it's a good start. But I guess I want to push it a little bit further. Uh, I'm less interested in the stuff that you own and more interested in the people that you welcome into your home. That's the more important question to me. Uh, and actually, the Bible's got a lot to say about this idea of who is welcome into your home. It's called hospitality. And we can spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about that. Um, now, you're going to need your brain. Uh, and uh, you're going to need, if you know your Bible, that would be quite handy. Uh, if you don't know your Bible, uh, you either need Google search ready uh, or a Bible. Uh, so either of those, uh, feel free to get that out because this is going to be interactive, okay? Um, but just while you're finding your Bible, this, this question of hospitality is quite important to us right now as a nation. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news. Uh, it, it's been the same recently, hasn't it, for quite a few months. Top story almost every day has been Brexit. Now, I'm not here to make a party political statement um, but Brexit is making us think differently about our relationship with the rest of the world and who is welcome in our country and who isn't. Um, not long ago, we had another uh, kind of big issue, uh, which was the Windrush scandal. Maybe you're familiar with that. Uh, a whole group of people were invited to the UK to help us rebuild our nation, uh, particularly after the war. And uh, these people came often from the Caribbean. And guess what? Now, uh, our nation hasn't really treated those people very well. We haven't handled their papers brilliantly. In fact, some of them got burnt when they arrived here and people are being repatriated, having lived here for most of their lives. Uh, or what about the story uh, of the ISIS bride, Shamima Bergen? I don't know if you followed that story. Here was a 15-year-old girl that got radicalised online. She ends up... Uh, Moving uh, to Syria, uh, she marries an ISIS fighter, uh, she ends up having babies. Uh, two of those babies died pretty quickly and then last week, I think it was, uh, she, after asking if she could come home, um, her third child died. Uh, and there was a big fuss because we have um, uh, said to her, you are no longer welcome here. 
because of what you did and what she's been involved with is pretty awful. It's terrible stuff uh, that her family has been involved with. We don't know what she particularly has been involved with, but her family has been involved in some pretty tough stuff. But in the middle of that, a little baby died because her uh, citizenship was revoked. So who is welcome in our nation and who isn't? Who are we going to show hospitality to and who won't we? And at just Friday, as um, men and women, boys and girls, uh, were kind of coming together to pray in Christchurch, New Zealand, a um, extremist uh, guy with a, a machine gun, uh, with all sorts of uh, racist uh, phrases, tipexed on some of the magazine cartridges, decided to open fire uh, in that mosque, or actually a couple of mosques, and now it's 50 people have died. And that was also a question, is it who is welcome in New Zealand? Are Muslim people welcomed in Western countries? That's the question that's being raised. So I think this topic is pretty hot right now, isn't it? And uh, there's an opportunity for us as a church to lead the way, not just in how we speak about these topics, but actually how we behave. And um, I I want us to do that by looking at some passages of Scripture together. Now, here's where you might need Google search or a Bible. Um, I'm going to think about with you some of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross as he died. So you might want to find out what those words are. Maybe you know them already. Um, See if you can uh, figure them out with your neighbor. We'll make this interactive. There are no prizes. Uh, Just just honor and glory is at stake. Um, This is the season of Lent uh, where we get ourselves ready uh, to think about the death of Jesus on Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. So it's not a bad time for us to be thinking about those seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross, seven last phrases. You'll probably find them in the Gospels, uh, or if you're really clever, you could just find a summary uh, on Google. I don't mind. Uh, Googling is not cheating, not in this context anyway. But have a little chat with your neighbour, see if you can find the seven, and then can you see how they might be connected to the idea of hospitality. That's, that's the challenge. Challenge first is to find them. Second challenge is how are they connected to the theme of hospitality? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes and then we'll hear from you again. Okay, thanks. If you want to know what to Google, you can Google seven words from the cross. That should help you find it pretty quickly. Okay, has anyone found one? Have you found one? Father, forgive them. Great. That's a great one to start with. Let's look at that. So that's Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now just think about this for a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, has been uh, through an unjust trial uh, where they've kind of trumped up charges against him. Uh, He's been flogged and beaten, and uh, he's had a crown of thorns put on his head, uh, and then he's been forced to carry his own cross uh, to the place of execution, Golgotha. And then when they get there, they put nails through his hands and probably through the back of his ankle uh, so that he's pinned onto a cross. And then that cross is lifted up, and it was not a nice view. It was a kind of town rubbish tip uh, outside the city walls, lifted up, and then people come... And they spit insults at him. Often, when people are close to the end of their life, 
uh, or even if they've just recently died, uh, we have this expression, not to speak ill of the dead. Well, that, what, that civility was not shown to Jesus. Everyone seems to be angry with him. Uh, the crowd are angry with him. The re- religious leaders are angry with him. Uh, even the executioners are angry with him. And one guy dying next to him is angry with him. And in the middle of all that pain and hatred, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. I tell you, don't you love Jesus? Isn't he just the most amazing person? Uh, I get upset if someone cuts me up on the motorway. Yeah? Uh, you know, if I'm in the second lane, and I know I shouldn't be in the second lane for most of the time, someone comes really close to me to tell me that I should be in the first lane just by nearly clipping the front. And I'm going to beat my horn. I want to flash my lights. Who made you the police officer for the... Oh, you are the police. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But I get angry so quickly over those silly little things. But Jesus is facing all that hatred and yet he's offering forgiveness. People have often wondered, who is he forgiving? Is he forgiving the soldiers because it wasn't their, you know, wasn't their fault, it was their job. If they didn't crucify him, someone else would. Uh, was it the religious leaders because they didn't, they, they didn't know their Bibles well enough? They were kind of a little bit messed up in their heads. Was it the crowd because they didn't understand that this was the Son of God dying for their sins? I think he probably was forgiving everybody. He was offering forgiveness to all of us because in some way or another we were implicated in this. Jesus is dying on the cross because of you and me, isn't he? Because of our sin. Because of the way that we've messed up and uh, not lived for God as we ought to have done. And so Jesus offers forgiveness to us. Now what's the link between forgiveness and hospitality? Jesus is saying, don't just, just be kind or nice to your friends. I think you should offer grace and mercy even to your enemies. And that's the basis by which hospitality is even possible, isn't it? Unless you're willing to forgive someone, there's no way you're going to welcome them into your home or your life, are you? Brilliant. Did anyone get a different one? Another one of these seven words from the cross. Uh, do you, did you think of another one? Yes, please. Oh, that's a good one. I'll pr- bring it up here. Oh, I'm going to, oh, yes. How does this work? No. Yes. Uh, Luke 23 again. Uh, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise what's the context that criminal that is so angry at Jesus that he's challenging him uh, to rescue himself if he's so great well there's another criminal that dies next to Jesus and he says to Jesus look um, remember me when you come into your kingdom it's a weird thing to say isn't it because what does this guy think is going to happen next in the cause of events You know, Jesus is going, what, is he going to be rescued, right? Is there going to be some kind of uh, army that's going to come and take Jesus down from the cross, uh, move him uh, into the palace in Jerusalem, and Jesus will be crowned king over the whole of Jerusalem? Is Is that what's going to happen? No. I think this criminal knew Jesus was going to die, didn't he? But he knew that when Jesus died... That was when he was going to come into his kingdom. This guy knows something that almost no one else has recognized. He's recognizing 
Jesus is the king of heaven, isn't he? He knows it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knows Jesus is about to ascend to his kingdom. And at some stage, he's going to be crowned king over the universe. Somehow, this dying criminal has worked that out. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Talk about a VIP welcome. Talk about hospitality. As Jesus dies for the sins of the world, to a criminal, self-confessed criminal, he says, you're going to be my plus one. I'm going to take you into the kingdom. Now you might say, what has this criminal done to deserve being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven? Wrong question. What has Jesus done to make it possible that he could welcome this criminal into the kingdom of heaven? We believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for any of us, however messed up our lives are, whatever we've done, to also have confidence that when we die, we'll be with Jesus in paradise. That's the confidence every Christian believer holds on to, no matter how hard life gets. And for this criminal dying on the cross, his life did not get physically better since he had that promise from Jesus. You know, some people say that if you become a Christian, you'll be healthy and wealthy. Your life will suddenly be turned around. Well, that did not happen for this criminal. Do you know what happened to this criminal who is promised eternal life? Well, he died, didn't he? A horrible, painful death. Gasping for breath, crucified next to Jesus. He, he did not get health and he did definitely did not get wealth. But he had a promise. And that promise... Gave him hope no matter how bad it got. Actually, that's true for us, isn't it? No one is promising you, if you become a follower of Jesus, your life will just be plain sailing, bed of roses. It's just going to get better and better. You know what? For many people around the world, being a Christian makes life more difficult. Think about sisters and brothers in places like Pakistan or South Sudan. Life is tough because they're Christians. But they hold on to this promise. Today... You'll be with me in paradise. Great. We've got a Zoom. Uh, does anyone know another one? Can I just say about Brian? Yeah. I absolutely, I've always absolutely loved the story of the cross when Jesus was dying so horrifically yeah. and yet he looks down with the most wonderful compassion yes. upon his mother Mary yeah. and he looks to her and he looks to John whom he loved yeah. and said to John, in other words, he knew he was going, so he said to John, in other words, look after her. Yeah. And she went with John, and he looked after her after. And it was how he was suffering so much, and yet he forgot all about his suffering. He had the compassion upon the two people he was looking down from the cross. That's amazing. That is one of them. I'll, sh I'll show it to you. Uh, it's, I think it's in John's Gospel. Oh, where are you? No, not that one. I'm trying this new program out. I'll tell you why uh, at the end. Oh, here we go. John 19, 26. Here is your son. Here is your mother. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now, scholars say that these words are, are basically an adoption formula. Some people say, Chris, that stuff you do with fostering and adoption, it's not really that important, is it? You know, what really matters is that we just tell people the gospel. You know, we just, just, just get out there, tell as many people the, the, the good news of Jesus as possible. And all this fostering and adoption stuff, well, it's basically, it's nice, but it's a bit of a waste of time. 
Because this planet is like the Titanic. It's going down and down and down. What we need to do is get as many souls off this planet as we can and up to heaven, just tell them the gospel. And I go, okay, that's interesting. Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, right? No doubt about it. He cares about people's souls and their eternal destiny. We've seen that. But as he is dying on the cross, he is still making sure that his mother is okay and his best mate is going to be looking after her. Why does he bother? He's already doing the big job, isn't he? Dying for the sins of the world. And yet, as you rightly say, he is so driven by compassion that he wants to make sure his mum and his best mate are looked after. I think it matters that people find families. I think right now in this world, many people are not going to know the love of God if they don't have a mum or a dad in their lives. How are these kids going to grow up and know that the world is worth living in if they haven't got that loving security of a family? Because, you know, the gospel, it matters that we speak it, but it also matters that we live it. Does that make sense? Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Words matter. They do. We've got to speak the gospel, but we've got to live it too. And to be honest, I don't know a more powerful, visible demonstration of the gospel than welcoming a vulnerable child into your life and loving them as your own for however long it takes. That is powerful, isn't it? Becky told us earlier, you know, as a single young woman taking a seven-year-old girl into her life, knowing that there's been trauma and difficulty, that, that's the gospel lived out, isn't it? So that's why we're passionate about adoption. Jesus seemed to care about it on the cross. All right, I'm going to zoom because we're going to run out of time. Um, how about this one? This is a hard one. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, And this is a quote from the Psalms, isn't it? Uh, This feeling of being abandoned by God. Well, we know, looking back, why that happened. Jesus is carrying the sins of the world on him. And our God is so holy and pure, he can't look at that. This somehow, the carrying of the sins of the world, breaks a profound relationship between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. And the Holy Spirit too. So the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who have, who have been in perfect community since before the creation of the universe, somehow, because Jesus is carrying the sins of the world, that relationship is disrupted. Now, this links to hospitality, doesn't it? Jesus is rejected in some way by God in order that we could be accepted. Isn't that beautiful? He took all the alienation and, and, and the, 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 the hatred and the, the anger and the wrath of, uh, of God against sin on himself so that we could be welcomed with open arms. That's beautiful. The wonder of the cross that it does that for us. All right, last one. Um, is it last one? Uh, oh, yeah. Second to last one. Uh, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus says just before he dies. And I think just after it says, with that he breathed his last. This is a quote, I think, from Psalm 33, where the psalmist says to God, in you, Lord, I have sought refuge. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus has just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's 
wrestling with the emotional and spiritual and physical pain that he's going through. And he's feeling far away from God. Maybe you know something of that distancing from God. And yet, in his final word, he still manages to trust God, doesn't he? He says, I I, I don't understand it. I don't feel your presence close to me. Uh, You feel like you're a million miles away. And yet, I'm still going to trust you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Would you give me refuge? Would you be my strong tower? Would you give me asylum and, and, and help and hope in this moment? Jesus has been the one who has offered welcome and grace and refuge to all sorts of people that nobody else wanted to be near. Do you remember the, the sinners that found comfort in Jesus? The tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, they all flocked to him and he gave them welcome. He gave them refuge in a tough world. Jesus now asks his father for that same refuge, that same hospitality. It's beautiful. Oh, we did forget one. Actually two. Do you know the last two? This isn't bingo, but do you know the last two? I'm thirsty. There you go. Isn't that ironic? Jesus, the one that turned water into wine, is now thirsty. Jesus, the one who says, come to me, all who are thirsty, uh, and and you'll find refreshing, is now thirsty. Jesus asks the world for a drink. And what did we give him? What did the world give him? We, uh, you know, did we go raid some wine cellar somewhere and bring him the most expensive, luxurious bottle of wine we possibly could? You know, did, did the guys at Seven Up or Pepsi or whatever, uh, you know, they would have been there quickly. Great branding opportunity. No, do you know what we gave him? We gave him wine vinegar. That's the cheap stuff. When I was a kid, uh, that would be the equivalent of the stuff that my mates bought from Sainsbury's and then got drunk in the car park. It's the cheap as chips rubbish that soldiers might drink. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus was the one that said um, in the uh, parable of the sheep and the goats, do you remember he said, "I, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Jesus in this moment becomes that stranger, doesn't he? Asking the world for a drink. It's interesting. We now today have the opportunity to give Jesus what he should have received on the cross. We should have, the world should have brought him the best, shouldn't we? This is amazing. This is the Son of God dying for the sins of the world. This is the biggest moment in history, and we give him the dregs and the cheap stuff. I know if you or I had been there, we would have brought the best we could bring. We would have made sure at this moment we'd given the best that we possibly had. My mum always used to uh, want to keep our lounge nice and tidy just in case the queen dropped in. Is that true? That, you know, in your family, you know, we we, we had had some nice china. uh, We had some really nice Assam tea, which is where my mum was from. Uh, It was all ready just in case the queen dropped in. We also have got a bottle of champagne ready in our house just in case one of the kids at some stage has an exciting announcement. You know, engagement, pregnancy, wedding. We don't mind which order it comes in, but, uh, you know, it's ready. We kind of mind a little bit. Okay, kids are here. But anyway, we're ready. We're ready to celebrate. Friends, Jesus comes and asks us for a drink regularly. 
He comes in those that are hungry and thirsty and lonely. And how we respond to them is how we respond to him. Does that make sense? Last thing that Jesus said was, it is finished. Jesus did everything necessary in order that you and I and the rest of the world could be welcomed into God's family, loved as sons and daughters, with absolute hope of eternal life. Jesus did all of that. And as he did it, he demonstrated radical hospitality. And so, friends, I guess I have two ways that you could respond today. The first is you might not be sure that you are welcomed into God's family. You might not be sure that this cross that Jesus hung on was all for you. And if you're in that situation, even if you've been to church a long time, or if this is your first Sunday here, we want to make sure you've got the opportunity to become part of Jesus' family by accepting what he did. So we'll have given, give you an opportunity to do that. But the second thing I want to say is, I think at the heart of the cross, which is the core of the Christian message, we have this radical challenge to hospitality. And one way you can get involved, of course, is through fostering and the numbers we're trying to find in, in uh, Bristol, 30 across the churches, should be totally achievable. But fostering isn't the only way that you can be hospitable. Maybe there are people that you know in your neighborhood, in your family, in your community, in your workplace that need to know something of the hospitality of God. And it could be as simple as bringing some biscuits in to break a conversation open at work. It could be an invitation for someone to sit with you at lunchtime. It could be an invitation to a meal at your home. But I want to challenge, I suppose, all of us, me included, that if Jesus, the most wonderful person that's ever lived, models this radical hospitality, if we're going to walk in his footsteps, we need to do the same. So if you're able to stand, why don't you stand? I don't know if we're going to sing again. Maybe we're going to sing again. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a little prayer, and then we'll um, close our service out. Father God, thank you. Thank you that whoever we are, whatever we've done, you want to welcome us into your family. Lord, we think of that criminal dying next to Jesus. And yet you welcomed him into paradise. You gave him a promise that no matter how much pain he suffered, he could hold on to. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that isn't sure whether they belong to you, whether you really have welcomed them into your family. I pray, even this morning, you'd help them make that first step and ask you to remember them when you come into your kingdom. Father, give them the confidence to talk to someone, maybe one of the, the leaders of the church after the service, if they want to take that first step and come into your family. But Father, for the rest of us, we ask that this incredible grace that you've shown to us, this mercy and compassion that Jesus showed to us on the cross, would flow out from us to other people in need. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see those who are lonely and hurting and needy and then you'd give us the power and the compassion to reach out to them maybe with a simple act of kindness uh, or maybe with a word of comfort or encouragement or maybe even with the words of the gospel lord help us to demonstrate your love to a world in need in jesus name amen oh oh yeah um just before we sing, 
uh, maybe something we've spoken about today has touched you um, and there's a really easy way that you can respond. Um, that is my email. It's chrishk at homeforgood.org.uk. You could type it into your phone right now. That's totally fine. Um, and if you would like a copy of the reflection that I was working through and you can do it at your own pace, uh, I'll send you a link to that. I think I've also got a discount uh, on the books and you can also give towards Home for Good. There are three different ways you can respond. So if you want to get involved, just drop me an email and uh, I'll be back to you soon. Thanks.